Good morning, Cross Point. How's everybody doing? Good? Some of you are, yeah. Pastor David is not able to be with us today. Uh, he's spending Father's Day with his father. Many of you know his father's been in failing health, and so we, we want to lift him up in prayer and pray for him. Well, my name is Pat Patton, and I'm the pastor of pastoral care um, here at Cross Point. Also head up um, Celebrate Recovery Ministry. And uh, my, my full-time job is a Christian marriage and family counselor. But uh, one of the ministries that uh, I do here that I feel like is so important in the life of our church, you may not have heard about it, you may have heard about it, Celebrate Recovery. And uh, Celebrate Recovery, just so you, if you don't know, is a 12-step program, but it's a Christ-centered 12-step program. Uh, we have a table actually set up in the atrium with some folks there if you have any questions afterwards about this ministry. And uh, we've been doing it here for about four years. And uh, one of the things that I think our leadership team would like for me to say to you, since I'm standing in front of you, is it's more than just alcohol and drug recovery. It's really all kind of issues. I think there's about 20 pamphlets out there uh, with different topics of gambling and pornography and childhood issues, relationship issues and divorce and codependency, and we could go on and on and on. We, we talk about hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And if we're honest, most of us could probably dig up some stuff in our life of some hurts and some habits and hang-ups. So that's one ministry uh, that we're involved with uh, every night uh, on Monday, uh, every Monday at 6.30. So uh, you can just come. It's an open group. Come and if you want to explore it sometime. But let me say to you, happy Father's Day. Uh, how many fathers do we have in here? Let's have our fathers stand up. Come on, fathers. Grandfathers. There we go. Let's give them a hand, guys. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. You know, we live in a day when fathers um, are in some ways not as appreciated or not as validated. Some would see, even say, go so far as to say, unimportant in the family, but I beg to differ, and I believe God's word uh, has a different word as well. And just preparing for this message, one of the things that uh, I, I thought about just kind of in looking at some stuff is there was a, a research done at the University of Pennsylvania that indicates, listen to this, that children who feel closeness and warmth from their fathers, okay? Not that they have a father, everybody's got a father, but they feel closeness and warmth from their fathers are twice as likely to enter college, 75% less likely to have a child in their teens, 80% less likely to be incarcerated and half as likely to show signs of depression. And as a counselor who sits across from families and individuals and couples uh, every day, um, I just want to echo that and say, fathers, keep up the good work. What you do is important, instilling the values, loving, accepting, and caring for your children. I also realize that many of us um, might have had a dad who wasn't all there. And, uh, but we can rejoice in our heavenly father who is all things and is the perfect father. Would you all agree with that? Our heavenly father is that perfect father. So thank you so much, fathers, for what you do. I want to lead us in a word of prayer, praying for our fathers today as well as our pastor. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you taught us about a father who is perfect. Lord, thank you so much for your words and encouragement to us along that way, your, your word that directs us as fathers and 
and grandfathers and those who have influence in the life of our family. And Father, I just pray for each of these men here that leading their home. I pray for wisdom. I pray for strength for them. I pray that they would seek you every day and to realize, Lord, that they need you in their lives to rightly lead their families and love and care for and give direction to them. And Father, we pray for our pastor, Pastor David, as he's with his father today. We just pray for strength and courage for the family. We pray, Lord, for this time in, of transition in life, Lord, that you would just be with him and may he know our love and our care for him. May your will be done, Father, we pray and ask. And Lord, we pray that as we open your word today, as we study from your word, that, that you would enlighten our hearts, that you would be with me, your imperfect vessel, Lord, to speak your word boldly and proclaim your truth, Lord. But Lord, may your spirit quicken our hearts and our ears to not only hear, but to apply these truths to our lives that you might be glorified in them. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our third in the series of messages entitled Under Construction, where we're learning the truth that God is constantly transforming us to be more like Christ. And one of the main ways we learned in the first sermon in keeping in step with the Holy Spirit was that God does this through his indwelling Holy Spirit. You see, I grew up in a, in a Buddhist country. My father was a missionary in Thailand. And in, in, let me just tell you this, in no other religion in the world other than Christianity do they have the living Holy Spirit living within them that empowers them to live life that their leader calls them to lead. Jesus came and was an example for us. He died and made a way, and when he left, he said, I will send the Comforter to be with you, to convict you, to guide you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. And so we have that within us. The second in our series was keeping our way righteous. And we were in the Psalms, and, and, and we talked about meditating on God's word, reading God's word, knowing God's word, living in God's word. And it's in doing that, it's in following God's word and being close to that that we're close to God and, and we, the Holy Spirit uses those scriptures in our lives to lead us into lives of righteousness and purity and holiness. And now today we come to a passage, a third in our series. It's really about keeping good company, but it's a lot of other things about it, and that's in the book of Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to Romans 16, beginning with verse 17. As you're turning there, let me remind you, of course, this is the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Rome. And in this book, we see some of the greatest theological content. We see some of the greatest doctrines of the Bible as Paul expressively writes about God and Jesus and the Christian life and our salvation and our sanctification and, and all of these things. And he tackles so many uh, important issues when it comes to truth and understanding. You remember, may remember if you were here a few years ago when we were uh, at the old Winn-Dixie that Pastor David led us in a series. I don't remember how many weeks it was, but it was several weeks. might have been months, I think. Uh, we were in the book of Romans going through that verse by verse in a powerful study. And the book of Romans is such a profound book. Well, Paul is writing here at, in, in Romans, and he's writing to this church 
and, and, and where we find ourselves in this particular passage is at the end of his letter. Now keep in mind he had not visited Rome, uh, but he knew a lot of people there. He, he, he knew a lot. He had um, others that he'd crossed paths in other places had gone to Rome, and he knew of them through different ways. And so he was writing this letter, and so we see in the midst of this long list, if you're re- looking down at 17, this this list of like, man, greet this person. I'm so thankful for this person. And boy, this person brought joy to my heart. And, and, and say hello to these women because they really helped me in the ministry. And, and he's just kind of going down this list and remembering all those that had walked and worked alongside him uh, in the ministry. And then in the midst of that long list of, of listing names, it's this, if it's is just he's thinking about all those people and what they meant to him and how much they meant to the kingdom of God and the work of God. And it's like in the midst of that, all of a sudden he pauses and he has a thought. Uh, let me tell you something else, almost like an aside. And if you read much of Paul's letters, you know he does that sometimes. He'll be going along and something and all of a sudden, oh yeah, and by the way, and then he brings up something and kind of, kind of shares something else. So I believe it was out of a, a father's heart, a father's heart for the people that had come to know Christ and the Christians there uh, that, that Paul's words that we're going to read today come. So keep that in mind as we read the scripture. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, we could add sisters as well, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So what can we learn from this last kind of statement of teaching that Paul is writing to the church at Rome that he loves so much? Coming through the heart of a caring father, looking after his children, and Paul often referred to my children, you know, my little ones, and certainly he had special ones such as Timothy, but... What, what are we, can we glean from these? I want to give you three B statements. B statements. So here's the first one. Be aware of those who would distract you from God's truth. Be aware of those who would distract you from God's truth. And we see this really in verse 17 and 18 where he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now, when we think about this in the context of the early church, we know that, obviously, this is in the the first century of the church, the birth of the church, and, and during those early years, and sound doctrine and truth was so important then. Perhaps even we would say it was critical then. For much like a newborn baby, with a new Christian, you can't just say, okay, now you're born. We don't take a baby home and say, okay, here you are, this is home, there's the remote, there's the sofa, there's the fridge, and there's the bathroom, good luck with that, and walk off. No, 
We have to nurture and train and walk with them and change their diapers and love them and hold them and teach them. And that doesn't just happen the first few months of a baby's life. Parents, would you agree that that happens like maybe into their 20s and 30s, right? Uh, some are slow learners. We have to keep teaching the same lessons over and over. And as a grandfather, I know that that's one of my, my hearts is to pour into my grandchildren and to watch over them as their parents do as well. So it's the same way with new believers. So Paul gives this warning, watch out for false teachers. Watch out for those claiming to have a, maybe a greater teaching or an extra teaching. But in fact, their motive is to draw you away to follow them. Watch out for those whose teaching does not align with the sound doctrine you have been taught. The New Living Translation uses the word upsets people's faith. Watch out for those people who upset people's faith. I've been reading through the book of Acts in my personal devotion time. And as the gospel was spread there in the early church, there were many examples of those who came along to, to hijack the good news, who took the, the teaching of those early disciples and they wanted to use it for their own selfish gain. We'll not take time to read it, but I want to read one little section about Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. I don't have this passage on the notes for you, but but I just, here's the part I want you to see. They, they came along and they were doing miracles and Simon was a sorcerer. Obviously, he made money through that uh, you know, evil trade. And yet, when he saw Peter and John coming along and placing hands on people and they received the Holy Spirit, verse 18 and verse 8 says this, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for, for having such a thought in your heart. I see that you are so full of bitterness and captive to sin. And so we see these examples in the New Testament of those who would come along and opposed the, the, the gospel by, by their own selfish means and wanting to gain for themselves. But what about us? What about us? Do, you, do we have still some false teachers among us in our day? I think we would all agree we do. And I'm not going to start naming names or giving television channels, but you don't have to look too far to begin, if you're discerning at all, to say... Why is it that out of a 25-minute show, about 20 minutes is about money, and not only just money, but send it to me money? That's kind of a sign maybe you might not want to listen too closely to the teaching of that teacher. Another thing that was happening in the, in the day of Paul is that Jews were being converted. Even though Paul's ministry primarily was to the Gentiles, obviously many Jews were coming to know Christ, and one of the things that they struggled with sometimes is they had had these Jewish traditions and Jewish teachings, and they weren't all bad. I mean, they were based on the Old Testament. But so many times, there were those who, when Christianity came along and freedom in Christ came along and Jesus paid for our sins came along and believing in the blood of Christ and that we're saved 
by grace through faith, they kind of struggled with that a little bit. And so we have examples of those who would come along and say, yeah, but you still got to keep the law, of course. Yeah, yeah, believe in Jesus on the cross, but you still got to keep the rules. You still got to keep the law. We got to keep doing that, of course. And yet Jesus came to fulfill the law. I still have an Old Testament. I read it. I believe it's God's word, and I want to follow that. But listen, that's not my salvation is based on following the law of the Old Testament. My salvation is based on what? Faith in Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross for me. I hope that's the basis of your salvation as well. And so these were the kind of things that Paul was talking about as he was addressing the church at Rome. One of the things that can be so confusing in, in, in discerning when it comes to false teachers is many, most, teach out of this Bible. Many have some good points to say and some truth to say. But there's where we have to be discerning and pray for discernment and do like the Bereans did where it says they examined the scriptures daily to see if what was being taught was true. And we have God's word that we can examine teaching and try to see if it's consistent with the, the whole counsel of God. But something even in our culture I think that's maybe even more pervasive than that is that we are living in a world where most people's worldview, that is just their how they see the world and, and, and the truths that they see are not in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not in line with the scriptures. I was having lunch with someone this week and one of the conversations that we had, and he pointed out a, a research that George Barner recently did that, that talking about a, a biblical worldview that this is God's word, this is true, uh, this, is, this is absolute truth in his word, that in that study in the United States of adults, only 9% of adults would say, we would say as evangelicals, have a biblical worldview. Now that's astonishing. Maybe it's a little bit higher here in the South, but that's still an amazing statistic. And here was what was an, another thing that was astonishing. In churches today, only 19% had a biblical worldview. That's pretty startling, too. That's even more startling, as a matter of fact. And among millennials, which is the younger folks, only half of 1% had a biblical worldview. And so the, it's so important that we understand the Scriptures, that we teach the Scriptures, that we systematically look at God's Word, and that we have a biblical worldview. Why? Because it's true. Because it's true. And there's so much error out there, and, and there was error in Paul's day, and there was doctrinal error in his day that, that would distract people from the pure message of the gospel. And guess what? That is still with us today. We live in a day where the prophet Isaiah's words in Isaiah 520 are true. He said there'd be a day when good will be called evil, and evil will be called good. I don't know about you, but I have been astonished even just over the past few years of people standing up and proclaiming that evil is good. Now, they're not saying it in those words, okay? Uh, uh, they're just saying, well, this is a good thing and this is a wise philosophy and this we ought to do this and politically we ought to do that. And yet it's so contrary to the word of God. And so it's important that you and I, and let me just challenge you dads, you're at the front line of this with your family. 
that as you see things, as you hear things, as you know things, that you are leading your family in biblical truth. You are leading your family in the gospel, in the truth of the gospel. It is important for all of us to realize that what God says in his word about life and how life works and marriage and how marriage works and, and what life is all about is more valid and more important and more relevant than the latest Facebook rant, rant or the latest tweet or, or, the, or the latest blog, even though they may be great passion and pathos in those, those things sometimes. We have to learn to recognize truth. Even sometimes in our television political commentary on our news, we have to be discerning. Would y'all agree with that? Would y'all agree to that point? Y'all are kind of being quiet out there. Can, we, can I hear an amen? All right. Thank you, Rob. I heard Rob over there. Amen, brother. Hey, you cheer me on, man. Cheer me on. Um, Peter reminds his readers, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter 5.8. As we think about Father's Day, I couldn't help but think about some of the wisdom that my father gave me. Don't ask me to start reciting it all, but I I'm, I'm hope I'm just living it, right? I may not, at my age, I may not remember all of it, but I'm hopefully living that. But what father hasn't said to his child? Son, daughter, choose your friends wisely. Knowing that they could tend to go in the direction of their friends, right? And, and I've heard more than one teenager in counseling say, my parents don't like my friends. They don't just understand they're good people or whatever, you know. And, um, and so we need to be warning and, and advising because 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says this, bad company corrupts good character or good morals. So we all need to be aware of those we hang around, those we choose to spend time with. Now here's, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge where... We're called to be salt and light, aren't we? I mean, if we're not hanging around folks that don't think like us or don't have a biblical worldview or don't know Jesus, how are we going to influence them? So we still have to, to influence. We still have to hang around and be around some folks. But what we have to be is discerning and we have to be strong in ourselves and in our knowledge and in our faith and in our convictions that we don't allow them to sway us more than we sway them. One of my good friends, Max, was here earlier. I used to ride with a motorcycle group, the JC Riders, and I sold my motorcycle, so I don't go to the meetings anymore because I figure, what's the point, you know? You can't drive up in a car to a motorcycle meeting. It's just not cool. So uh, one day I'll get me a motorcycle if my wife lets me. But, um, you know, that's one of the things that the club does, even though we're strongly Christian, is that we go hang out with some bad folks. We go to some places where there's some rough stuff, why? Because well, that's where some lost people are. That's where some people that need to hear Jesus are. So Paul's not saying don't, don't, don't go among, just, just huddle them up, huddle up in your church. Don't have any friends that aren't Christians. Don't, don't have any people that you, you don't go around that don't know Jesus. No, he's not saying that at all. But what he is saying is, is just, just watch it. Just be mindful. Just be thinking. Just be strong in your own convictions. Just be knowledgeable about the truth. So we all need to be aware of that. One of the things we say in Celebrate Recovery is 
when people come in and they're in the midst of their addictions, we say, you may have to change your people, places, and things in order to overcome your habits, your addictions. Because it's in changing those people, places, or things, we get into a new world where maybe we can get some help and get some recovery. So the first point, be aware of those who would distract you from God's truth. The second thing is this, be faithful in obedience to seek unity and God's will. Paul certainly had a heart to see his spiritual children walking in the truth of the gospel. He wanted believers to learn to recognize those things that would cause him to stumble in our faith, but he also wanted them to be aware of that division in the church. He says in verse 17, watch out for those that cause division. And then in verse 19, he says this, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So he starts off this letter in Romans 1.8 and he says this. He says, first, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed all over the world. In other words, the Christians in Rome, their reputation had spread and gone out. And so he wasn't really scolding them so much here, but he was just reiterating the, the importance of unity. Like a proud papa, he knew that disunity could cause problems. In fact, he addressed this in 1 Corinthians when he wrote some, uh, there was a place when, well, it's actually not a quote, but it's just where some were following Paul and some were following Apollos and some were following Cephas or Peter and some were following, said they were following Christ. And, and Paul uh, went on to say, um, in fact, let me just read that passage real quick because it's, it's, it's such a, a good thing. Philippians 2, uh, verse 1 and 2. And, and here's what he says. He's, he says, well, this was not the, the exact same place, but it's, it's the same thing. He says, if there's any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and passion, then make my joy compete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. And so Paul was saying, listen, we got to be one under Jesus. It's not about Peter. It's not about me. It, it, it's not about Apollos. It's not about any of them. It's about Jesus. We unite under Jesus. We stand united in Jesus. One of the good indications for us as we look out in our world today and new religions pop up all the time, new followers, new sects, new cults, one of the discerning things that we could ask ourselves is, is this leader pointing to himself or is he pointing to Christ? Is he saying, follow me? That's one of the things you can, very obvious on a cult level, is it's like, listen, come to our compound, come to our place, come to our church, hang out with us. Nobody else really has the truth except this guy right here. And we listen to him. We can't really trust everybody else. Don't listen to your family because he has all the truth. Boy, watch out, run away, stay away. So Paul is saying to the beloved here at Rome, you guys have been faithful, you, you're standing in the truth, you've been obeying Christ's teaching, but be careful that you don't let evil and division and disunity creep in. He said, be wise because it's out there. Jesus warned his followers in similar words in Matthew 10, 16 when he says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. 
Jesus said it before Paul, but he was saying the same thing. Guys, be alert, be aware, be wise. And when it comes to evil around you, don't become hardened and cynical and critical. In fact, he said love, but be wise. I love what teacher John MacArthur said about this Roman passage. He said this, genuine love will be ready to forgive evil, but it will not condone it or ignore it. Those such as Paul who truly love other believers who are dear to them will warn them about sin and harm. You know, one of the things I've struggled with as a pastor over the many years is being hard with people because just me is who I am. I'm, I'm just soft-hearted kind of thing. And you ask anybody that works with me, that's one of my, it's a weakness really. It's hard for me to be hard but I believe it's true that sometimes we do need to have tough love. Sometimes we need to speak the truth in love. For many of you, that may be very hard to have those hard conversations with people. It's not judgment. It's not being critical. It's not holier than thou. But it's saying, man, here's what I see in your life. And here's what I see God says. There's a disunity there, man. I love you. Can we work on that? Or what do you think about that? Or I just want to challenge you with that. Or whatever, in a way that we're not telling people what to do. We're not telling our family what to do necessarily. But we're saying, this is, this is God's way, man. He wants us to walk in it. In this, preparing for this message and just going over with Pastor David, his heart, you know, I, I asked him, I said, man, is there some disunity or something that you're wanting to address here? He goes, no, it's not. There's, it's not that it's some warning thing to the church or something that we're pointing out something that's a hidden thing. So I don't want you to walk away here with saying that. But, but here's the point I'm trying to make. We have to be aware of the potential dangers that Paul addresses to the church there can be addressed to us as well. So we have to watch out in those areas of disunity. To be aware not only of other people, but our own sinful tendencies that can cause other people to stumble or that might create disunity among us. For many times, the greatest danger to the church doesn't come from outside these walls, but inside these walls. One way we can determine that sometimes if we find ourselves with a lot of I statements. Well, I just think this. Well, I don't like that. Well, I, well, I, well, I. And I statements are good sometimes. Don't get me wrong. But we just have to be mindful and careful. Are we seeking the unity that's the heart of God, that's the heart of Christ, that's the heart of Paul? Are we watching our words, especially if we're, we've been a Christian for a while and we're walking in the freedom of Christ and there's nothing wrong with that. We have to watch when there's new Christians around us that we don't cause them to stumble. You know, one of the issues that Paul addressed in his, his day was the issue of meat sacrificed to idols. And he said, you know, as a Christian, you're free to eat that meat that's left over from the sacrifices and the pagan things, and you can eat that. It's not going to defile you. But he says, listen, if me eating that meat and exercising my freedom in Christ is going to cause a new Christian to stumble or somebody that may be thinking about Christ and looking at my life, he said, I, I won't even eat it again. 
I, I, I won't even touch that again. Are we ready, church, to be able to say to the, about the things in our life if it causes somebody to stumble? No, the Bible doesn't say that that's a sin per se. But if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble, am I willing to lay it down because I love my brother? I'm willing to forego that freedom because I love Jesus that much. And I don't want anybody to misunderstand my life. God has done some awesome things bringing us to where we are as a church. I could not be more proud or excited about this new facility. I remember, and you, many of you remember, about this time of year, uh, I wouldn't be cold up here, right? <laughs> I would be sweating up here. Um, so I, I can handle a little bit of cold uh, because I'd rather have the cold than the heat. But I am I'm proud of where we are. But not only the building, but where we are as a church. And we've grown and we've seen many come through these doors. And I told Pastor David here some time ago, I just believe that God is going to continue to grow us and we've got to be ready to handle the folks. And that's not just the staff. That's not just the pastors or the staff. That's all of us. That's all of us who want to serve Christ, that we're stepping up to the plate, that we're growing, we're doing our part, we're volunteering. We're getting involved in ministry. We're helping new people assimilate into the life of this church and into the life of Christ. In 30 years of ministry that I've been in, I have seen all kinds of hurts. I've seen all kinds of division. I have pulled my hair out sometimes at business meetings. Thank God we do not have business meetings here in this church because I have seen it cause such division in the church. I've seen it, and, and it's, it's broken my heart, and I believe it breaks the heart of God when God's people come together and as a matter of preference, men say, well, I like this, or I don't like that, or, and we argue, and we bicker, and we get upset over personal preferences that have nothing to do with the Scripture. We've got to focus on God's Word. We've got to focus on reaching people for Christ. Would you all agree with that? Is that what we need to focus on, church? I'm serious. Is that what we need to focus on? I hope that's your heart as well. United around Jesus, strong in the faith and his mission to reach our community for Christ. But this requires mindfulness and focus and a lot of sacrifice and hard work. But oh, the rewards, right? Oh, the rewards. You know, one of my favorite prayers of Jesus and thinking about, sorry about that, thinking about Unity was, was John chapter 17. In the context of, of Jesus speaking here was, it was right before he was led off to, to be falsely accused, to be beaten mercilessly, to be tried in a mock trial, to, to, to hang on the cross and to die. It was right before then, and he was praying this, this priestly prayer, and he, he, he prayed for himself and he prayed for his disciples that were there with him and then he moved to this place of praying for all those who would follow and that's you and I some 2,000 years later and I want you to listen to, to this prayer of Jesus because I think this characterizes the heart of Paul in this passage as well as any other cross reference we could look at in John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus prayed, I am praying not only for these disciples 
but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. And may they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. <laughs> Did you get that? One of the last things on Jesus' mind as he faced death was that you and I would draw close to Jesus and close to the Father and grow close to one another. Truly loving each other and loving him and seeking his vision and seeking his purpose. Why did he want that? So we could have more people in church and have bragging rights about we're a big church so that we could add another building to this building and have more room and more things for us to do and more spaces? No, not at all. He wanted that because he had a heart for people who are lost. He had a heart for people who were walking around in the darkness without the light. And he said, if my people can come together and they can be in unity and they can seek my heart, if they can be one with me, not just one with one another, but one with me, then I can accomplish through them even greater things than has happened up to this point. Church, I believe I know our pastor well enough to know that if he was standing here, that's his heart. That we would be one, that we might win others to Christ, that they might see our love and our unity and our service and our sacrifice and they may be drawn to Christ. One more B, and then we're through. And it's a shorter one. The third thing is be strengthened and encouraged in knowing Christ's final victory. Verse 20 says that. So Paul finishes in 1620 by saying, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord be with you. You see, all this talk of division and obstacles and deceit and evil could leave anyone discouraged, leave anyone afraid of those who oppose the church. I mean, after all, who are we to fight Satan and his grand schemes to defeat us? How do we stand against blatant evil? And we see it all the time on television. We see that evil portrayed and flashed on the news. We don't see it as much, but let me tell you something else that's out there. Christians every day are being run from their homes, their homes burned, they're being raped, they're being imprisoned, and they're being killed because they're Christians. That's all, just because they're Christians. We don't realize that, but there's a great persecuted church out there that we need to be mindful of. Paul finishes his thought with reminding people that one day Satan will be crushed under your feet. Yeah, we have an enemy, an enemy who is powerful and relentless and scheming. And one of the things we need to know as Christians, and we need to, to, 
to just know this in our heart is that his mission every day, 24-7, every day, every day, every day, as Jesus said, is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to divide homes, destroy marriages. He wants to ruin our kids. He wants to get them on drugs. He wants to do everything to, to divide God's church. He wants to do everything to discredit us as Christians and our witness. And he is relentless about that, and we need to be aware but the cool thing and the awesome thing is is that God is greater. That God is greater. You know, some people may say, we don't have to think about him. We don't, I don't want to think about evil. I don't want to think about Satan. Well, guess what? You're going to have to ignore scripture if that's your worldview, if that's your life, if that's what you believe or what you say. So we have to balance Paul's words here with what John wrote in 1 John 4, 4 where he told believers to test every spirit. He called it the spirit of the Antichrist. But in a, a reassuring way, here's what John wrote to give us courage. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Is that exciting for you? Is that exciting? I mean, that's our hope. That's our hope. That's, that's how we, we realize we have an enemy. Yes, we have evil. We have those who are following him, some willingly, some unwittingly. And yet, greater is he than is in me than he that is in the world. He is our strength. He is our hope. And ultimately, he's our victory. Three points. Be alert and aware of those who would distract you from God's truth. Be faithful and obedient to seek God's unity and God's will. And be strengthened and encouraged in knowing that Christ has the final victory.